the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. As if things couldn't get any stranger, well, they have. We'll take a look at some of the strange developments over the last 24 hours. We'll also take a look at the lighter side of the news and try to make it clear where the line is drawn, which is the real and which is the, well, the lighter side. We're also going to share our interview of the week with Scott Rank, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, by now, you probably know that President Trump revealed early Friday morning that he and uh, First Lady Melania Trump have tested positive for coronavirus. I was enjoying the late evening when suddenly my phone rang and I saw the name James Blend on the other end. Uh, surprised to hear from him that late. And he said, are you following the news? And of course, the rest is news. Well, the president's diagnosis comes with just um, over a month remaining before the presidential election, 31 days to be precise. The president is currently experiencing mild cold-like symptoms of coronavirus, according to the New York Times. Tonight, the first lady and I tested positive for COVID-19. We will begin our quarantine and recovery process immediately. We will get uh, through this together. Trump wrote, uh, wrote on Twitter. Well, White House physician Sean Conley said on Friday that the two were well at this uh, time and that his medical team would maintain a vigilant watch. Conley added that Trump would continue carrying out his duties without disruption while recovering. It's no surprise that people get the infection even with precautions, White House coronavirus advisor Scott Atlas said. I anticipate a complete and full and rapid recovery back to normal after his necessary confinement period, adding that there is zero reason to panic. Well, the next presidential election is the uh, face-off between the vice president and his rival, Kamala Harris, on the Democrat side. So that gives a little bit of time between uh, the previous um, debate with the president and his uh, opponent this week and that of uh, his second which is coming up about a week uh, or rather two weeks later. The president and first later were tested after learning that senior aide Hope Hicks had contracted coronavirus. Hicks flew with Trump on Air Force One on Wednesday's campaign rally in Duluth, Minnesota, and um, began exhibiting symptoms at about the time of the rally. A person familiar with the matter told the Times Hicks tested negative for coronavirus on Wednesday morning, which allowed her to board Air Force One. Republican National Committee Chairman Ronna McDaniel reportedly tested positive for coronavirus on Wednesday. McDaniel last met with the president a week ago, has remained in Michigan since that time. Joe Biden was also tested. In fact, his day was delayed by about three hours. He and his wife um, are uh, free of coronavirus. Jill and I send our thoughts to President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump for a swift recovery, he wrote on Twitter. We will continue to pray for the health and safety of the president and his family. Vice President Mike Pence and his wife, Karen, tested negative for the disease on Friday following the president's diagnosis. Karen and I send our love and prayers to our dear friends, President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump. He wrote on Twitter, we join millions across America praying for their full and swift recovery. God bless you, President, and our wonderful First Lady. Well, not everyone responded in quite that generous way as the former vice president and the current vice president. But we'll leave that for another day. And one doesn't have to have much imagination 
to uh, consider what uh, kinds of things are being said. Mild symptoms, positive for coronavirus. Meanwhile, Utah Senator Mike Lee tested positive for coronavirus as well. He will remain isolated. He revealed also on Friday that he tested positive for the uh, coronavirus um, uh, days after visiting the White House and hours after the president and first lady had tested positive as well. Uh, Senator Lee is a Republican out of Utah, a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He met with Supreme Court nominee Judge uh, Amy Coney Barrett on Tuesday. The White House said on Friday that Barrett has tested negative for the virus. Uh, Lee said he experienced symptoms on Thursday morning that he thought were allergies, but got tested out of an abundance of caution. Unlike the test I took just a few days ago while visiting the White House, yesterday's test came back positive. He wrote in a statement saying, on advice of the Senate attending physician, I will remain isolated for the next 10 days. His announcement came hours, as I mentioned, after the president and first lady revealed that they had contracted the, uh, the virus. It's not a, a respecter of persons. And, of course, the president uh, is uh, joins a long list of other leaders across the country. Well, as a as we stagger into the home stretch of an absolute dumpster fire of a year, and I say that uh, tongue in cheek because there have been some significant things that have happened this year. But you get what I mean. A year that couldn't possibly become any more odd or outlandish. 2020 just ginned up uh, another statistic grin and said, hold my ever clear. So it was just after midnight last night when the president uh, tweeted. His announcement came just hours uh, after one of his top aides had done the same. True to form, the New York Times couldn't resist the urge to ignore the first lady while mocking the president in the wake of his unequivocally awful uh, news. As if he, we hadn't heard the, uh, the first time the Times doubled down uh, in its second paragraph, making fun of the president because that's what journalism has devolved into in many cases. And I was reminded of a quote from Thomas Jefferson back in 1805. Now, no, Thomas Jefferson wasn't a perfect leader. He didn't live a flawless life. He, life rather, he was not the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I, he's a sinner like the rest of us. But I do think what he has to say on this subject is relevant during the course of administration. And in order to disturb it, the artillery of the press has been leveled against us, charged with whatsoever its licentious, uh, licentiousness could devise or dare. These abuses of an institution so important to freedom and science are deeply uh, to be regretted inasmuch as they tend to lessen its usefulness and to sap its safety. Well, it doesn't only apply to the New York Times, but many other outlets as well. Well, the raucous Trump-Biden face-off has uh, the debate panel carefully considering format changes, which the president is pushing back on. He and his campaign have agreed to a certain set of rules, and he's not being as flexible to a change in those rules as one might uh, anticipate, given last or rather this last set of uh, uh, debates. The Commission on Presidential Debates on Wednesday said that additional structure should be added to the formats of the two remaining Trump-Biden debates, which have now been thrown into question, in order to ensure a more orderly discussion of the issues by the two candidates. Well, the Commission's comments came after a Tuesday night's debate in Cleveland. It included repeated interruptions and both candidates hurling charges and insults at one another. The commission added it will be carefully considering the changes it will adopt and will announce those measures shortly. The commission is grateful to Chris Wallace for the professionalism and skill he brought to Tuesday's debate and intends to ensure that additional tools to maintain order are in place for the remaining debates. The commission said 
uh, speaking to a news anchor who served as the debate uh, moderator. Well, according to Fox News analysis, Biden interrupted Trump 49 times and Wallace 18 times for a total of 67 interruptions. Trump, meanwhile, interrupted Biden 71 times and Wallace 74 times for a total of 145 interruptions. The debate panel is sponsoring uh, two more Trump-Biden debates on October 15th in Miami and October 22nd in Nashville, Tennessee, a debate between Vice President Mike Pence and Joe Biden's running mate, Senator Kamala Harris, is set for next Wednesday. And of course, we all know that adaptations have been necessary through this season, and it's very likely that these uh, could be virtual events for the president and candidate Biden. We'll keep uh, keep following that story. Meanwhile, Biden is facing liable suit over a video linking Kenosha suspect Kyle Rittenhouse to white supremacists. An attorney representing Kenosha, Wisconsin, shooting suspect Kyle Rittenhouse, has announced plans to sue the Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden and his campaign for libel on his client's behalf after Biden shared a video that the attorney says suggested the teenager is a white supremacist. He says he is not. Attorney Lynn Wood says the uh, planned legal action on behalf of Rittenhouse, who's 17, is a response to a 50-second clip of the uh, Biden camp posted on Twitter that uses the caption, there's no other way to put it, the president of the United States refuses to disavow white supremacists on the debate stage last night. Well, the tweet garnered more than 48,000 retweets, 148,000 likes by Wednesday afternoon. It references President Trump's response to a question during Tuesday night's debate in Cleveland in which the moderator um, asked the president if he was willing to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down or not add to the violence in a number of these cities. He specifically mentioned the Proud Boys. Well, as Wallace continued his question, he said the nation has seen violence in cities such as Kenosha and Portland, but roughly 12 seconds in the video, as the moderator is heard mentioning Kenosha and Portland, the footage cuts to an, an image of Rittenhouse, who was accused of fatally shooting two people and wounding a third after clashing with demonstrators during civil unrest in uh, Wisconsin City last month. Rittenhouse's legal team has continuously argued the teenager was defending himself when he fired his weapon. The court ultimately will decide. Well, the shooting suspect, Kyle Rittenhouse, received $50,000 in donations from gun rights groups and plans to fight extradition to Wisconsin over the Kenosha, uh, Kenosha shooting. And militia members are facing gun charges alleged to have uh, come to Kenosha to pick people off. Meanwhile, Discover uh, blocks donations to the site, raising money for Kyle Rittenhouse's defense. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Next, we'll take a look at some of the lighter side of the news as we wind our way through the headlines of the day. We'll also do the same at the 5 o'clock hour and uh, share our interview of the week with Scott Rank, history's nine most insane rulers. So stay with us. Well, Lindsey Graham, former Trump 2016 campaign advisor Carter Page, uh, deserves to be compensated, he says, after the former FBI director James Comey testified about the Russia investigation before the Senate Judiciary Committee panel. Uh, Chairman uh, Lindsey Graham told Hannity on Wednesday, what happened here is the Democratic Party hired a foreign agent, Christopher Steele, who enlisted a suspected Russian spy to create a dossier that was a bunch of garbage, Russian disinformation, Graham told Sean Hannity, and the FBI bought it hook, line and sinker, used it four times against an American citizen, a Trump campaign person to get a warrant. If that doesn't bother America, then something's wrong. To my Democratic colleagues, Graham added, 
if the shoe were on the other foot, you'd be burning the place down. And the media, of course, which is your promotions arm, would be doing the same. Well, Graham characterized Comey as having a convenient memory of what was uh, condemning to the president, but denying any incriminating conduct by his investigators. In other developments, Andy McCarthy says Comey's being incurious about Russian investigator investigations details is baffling. Um, Graham gets agitated with Comey as the FBI director resisted questioning in the Senate hearing uh, yesterday or the day before. And Republicans are growing frustrated as well as Comey claims ignorance over the Russia probe. You don't seem to know anything, says one of them. Comey says new information that Hillary Clinton dreamed up the Russia controversy to vilify President Trump, who was then a candidate, doesn't ring a bell. Of course, not much about that season apparently did. Well, the founder of uh, the black entertainment television, BET, suggests he's voting against Biden. I will uh, take the devil I know over uh, the devil I don't know. An angry Florida woman is forced to forfeit her lotto prize after the United States Postal Service lost her ticket. Let's hope that's not an omen for our uh, ballots. President Trump signed the temporary government funding bill passed just hours earlier. And United Airlines says the aid impasse has forced it to furlough some 13,000 of its employees. Meanwhile, the Commission on Presidential Debate is considering muting microphones as one of the uh, changes. And again, we don't know if it's going to be live in person or it'll be a virtual event given the president's diagnosis. But as a way to stop the candidates from talking over one another, David Harson, he says, as with most issues, Pertaining to the debates, the commission has it backwards. We don't need more rules. We need more open-ended discussion. Most good podcasts feature free-form conversations that organically converge on the most revealing or contentious aspects of a topic. They are, in other words, what a presidential debate should be. Hugh Hewitt called last night's debacle or the night before the Red Wedding debate. And Chris Wallace received a lot of criticism by many who feel he favored Biden. A look at the most slanted questions and transcripts can be found online. Well, seven Democrats are demanding more time to vet uh, Amy Coney Barrett, even though they did so some three years ago. Feinstein complained in a tweet that Chairman Graham's abbreviated timeline for the confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett undercuts the Senate's ability to fulfill its constitutional advice and consent role. The American people deserve a deliberative, thorough process, and this falls far short. Katie Pavlich points out by thorough Democrats mean enough time to find false accusations for the media to run on uh, loop against the nominee. Ed Morrissey points out utter nonsense. The same committee just vetted Barrett three years ago for her confirmation to the appellate circuit. Does Feinstein want to argue that she's, well, not good at the job um, as she was the last time? Biden and Harris are still uh, clearly evading the court packing question that has been posed to them on several occasions. Uh, Jake Tapper asked Harris about it again and again. She let him know they won't answer this question, this rather important question. The Wall Street Journal points out that Barack Obama has called the filibuster a relic of Jim Crow that has to go. His former Delaware Senate colleague, Chris Coons, has also endorsed removing the 60-minute rule to pass legislation if Democrats take the Senate. And Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has said that everything is on the table if Republicans confirm Judge Barrett this year. This means that with a simple majority, Democrats could add justices to the court and add Puerto Rico and Washington, D.C. as states to the union. These ideas were once fringe in the Democratic Party, but they've gone mainstream along with single-payer health care and a 100% green energy mandate. Should Mr. Biden at least have a view on the filibuster he supported in the Senate some 30 years ago? 36 to be precise, the Wall Street Journal adds. California governor has signed a bill requiring minority quotas 
for corporate boards, another effort to send businesses elsewhere outside of the state. And Netflix is seeing a big decline due to cuties and the uproar following its release. They're expected to have 2.5 million fewer subscribers over the film that sexualized teenage girls. Berkeley, California is banning candy from checkout aisles. Grocery stores will now be required to sell only healthy items within a three-foot radius of the register. And a zoo has removed parrots after visitors complained about their language. The five African gray parrots were quarantined together, and one of them has a bad influence. So they've decided to split them up. Well, over 73 million people watched the first debate on TV on Tuesday night, a 13 percent decline from 2016, which was record setting. And Democrats fear Kavanaugh's 2.0, a brawl, could hurt their November prospects over Amy Coney Barrett. And the wife of Boston Marathon hero says that uh, Biden touched her in an inappropriate and uncomfortable way. She doesn't say when, but the Washington Examiner has more. Pope Francis denies audience with Mike Pompeo. The ever-politicking Vatican warns against playing politics over China. And YouTube has added a disclaimer to the Heritage Foundation video on mail-in balloting, asking people to demand the opportunity to vote in person. Facebook has also removed uh, Trump ads that claim accepting refugees from abroad could increase COVID-19 risks. And New York City's nanny state mayor announces a $1,000 fine for anyone found not wearing a mask. I'm not sure when or where, but anyone not wearing a mask. California's task force will consider paying reparations for slavery as well because they have, of course, so much surplus cash lying around. Well, the movie industry group uh, is pleading for aid from Congress, warning theaters may not survive which might not be so bad for the country. Trump is planning to slash refugee admissions to a new low of 15,000 and everything the New York Times found suspicious in Trump's tax returns it put there, according to the Federalist. Well, as I mentioned, the president and first lady are in quarantine after their positive diagnosis. And we're learning that uh, Moderna's coronavirus vaccine won't be ready for widespread distribution until spring. That's according to the CEO. Uh, The president and the first lady began their quarantine process after uh, uh, Hope Hicks tested positive for the virus. And traces of the virus have been found in Lake Superior water, according to researchers. The president has received well wishes from top critics after his coronavirus diagnosis. And he joins a list of world leaders who have tested positive for or the uh, disease, I don't think is quite the right word. But Trump, um, Trump critics, of course, have seized on the president's positive coronavirus test to mock, lecture, and wish him dead. That's the country we apparently are in. Vice President Pence delayed an Arizona trip after the Secret Service, uh, an agent or two, in fact, tested positive for coronavirus. He and his wife have since uh, tested uh, free of the coronavirus. Those agents have been ordered to quarantine for at least um, uh, two weeks. And the vice president's press secretary, Katie Miller, who had coronavirus, says she's back at work after three negative tests. Well, Chris uh, Wallace says that Trump bears the primary responsibility for what happened at the debate. Uh, the host joined Bill Hemmer on uh, Thursday to reflect on the uh, the debate of two nights ago, the explosive first presidential debate. Wallace, who moderated the 94-minute clash in Cleveland, began by joking that the highlights host Bill Hemmer played had led to a recurrence of PTSD, 
he had gotten over. My initial reaction was this is a great uh, this is great because so often these debates become parallel news conferences where one candidate answers the question to him. The other answers the question to him. Wallace recalled. So when the president started engaging with Biden, rather, I thought we were going to have a real debate. However, Wallace went on. It became clear and clear over time that this was something different and that the president was determined to try to butt in or throw Joe Biden off. Wallace told Hammer that uh, he began being more forceful after repeatedly urging the president not to interrupt his Democratic rival. Responding to criticism of his handling of the debate, Wallace stressed that the in hindsight is uh, 2020, but admitted that he knew 45 minutes into the b- debate that it was a total mess and a disservice to the country. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Trump campaign has called out the second debate moderator who interned for Biden and worked for Ted Kennedy as being, well, potentially biased. Wow, you think? Um, we'll find out whether or not that impacts uh, the individual who posted pictures of himself alongside uh, the candidate uh, while as a U.S. senator uh, will disqualify him from that role. And the Trump campaign says the Commission on uh, Presidential Debates is not impartial with talks of rule and format changes. Meanwhile, Speaker Pelosi um, on if Biden should debate Trump a second time and then a third, she says one and done. Uh, McEnany says Trump has um, condemned white supremacy, but the shameful media won't cover it. Well, the president sees his approval rating increase with the majority expecting him to beat Biden. Trump and Biden abstained from roasting each other at the Al Smith dinner, despite tradition and plenty of ammo. I suppose they exhausted <laughs> any criticism during the first debate and they're saving up the rest for the second. Mitch McConnell is warning voters to brace for delayed election results, saying it could happen. And Ted Cruz is slamming Biden for dodging the court packing question again and again, claiming the ex-vice president doesn't want to be honest with the American people. And the Titans-Steelers matchup has been moved to later date as more positive coronavirus tests have been reported on the team. The Borat sequel, and I hate to even bring it up because uh, all he wants is attention. Anyway, the trailer reveals that Sasha Baron Cohen apparently crashed CPAC, disrupted the vice president's speech dressed as Trump. Okay, you have your moment of attention. Now go back. Well, stock futures have plunged after the president confirmed his coronavirus diagnosis and the Trump Paris coronavirus alert has hit European stocks as well. Steve Mnuchin and uh, Speaker Pelosi have failed to reach a coronavirus deal as the House Democrats passed their own bill. And Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccines development won't be affected by politics. They're saying again after having said it before and before that. Amazon says 19,816 U.S. workers have tested positive for coronavirus. Who knows, maybe your stuff won't get to you quite as quickly as you've come to expect. Well, the New York Times uh, spreads Chinese propaganda, publishing an op-ed backing China's hardline involvement in the politics of Hong Kong. Another story notes the writer has previously expressed her support for China's national security law for the city, which criminalizes acts of secession, subversion, collusion with foreign forces and terrorism and allows uh, such crimes to be punishable by up to life in a Chinese prison. That's China, the mainland. Because of the vagueness of the law, the government has been given ample ability to crack down on dissidents. Gordon Chang uh, says this. Let's remember, hashtag China is committing acts of genocide. Uh, This is coming from the same New York Times that saw the newsroom meltdown over a Tom Cotton op-ed. Apparently, if you're a Chinese 
uh, propagandist, it's fine if you're a sitting U.S. senator, not so much. President Trump once again condemns white supremacists and threw in the uh, Proud Boys for good measure. He also calls on Biden to condemn Antifa. David Harsini now reports, um, says that now reporters can ask why Biden won't condemn the group that sparked that vast majority of the recent political violence in America, or that idea, as the former vice president put it. Larry Elder points out uh, that Chris Wallace didn't ask Joe Biden, why hasn't the Democratic Party, the party of slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, set an example by dis, uh, uh, disgorging its assets and by transferring them to blacks? I guess it was rhetorical. The Proud Boys, meanwhile, say that they are not white supremacists and they are threatening to sue the media who has accused them of being both white supremacists and Nazi. By the way, it is a multiracial group. And then there's this Richard Spencer, neo-Nazi white supremacist and organizer of the infamous 2017 Charlottesville riots, announced yesterday on Twitter that he will be voting for Joe Biden in the upcoming 2020 election. Now, if that were the other way around, of course, the media would be all over it. Apparently, they don't care. If Joe Biden's getting that vote, well, Democratic leaders Feinstein and Durbin, uh, Durbin rather, among others, um, have offered a list of uh, or are part of a list of Democrats attacking the faith of Judge Amy Coney Barrett. President Trump uh, nominated her uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court. Judge Barrett is a great jurist with excellent credentials, a devout Catholic, but sadly, some are targeting uh, her and even lying about her because of her religious beliefs. Tom Cotton says, my meeting with Judge Barrett confirmed she is a brilliant legal mind and highly qualified nominee for the Supreme Court. While well, the second debate moderator interned for Joe Biden, Steve Scully, who serves as a host for C-SPAN's Washington Journal, interned for Biden after coming to Washington, D.C. as a student, according to Marie Claire. He later worked as a staff assistant for the late Senator Ted Kennedy. Meanwhile, a very entertaining look at Biden gaffes, which won't be highlighted in that debate. And there's a challenge to this individual being allowed to serve as host. Over a third of Americans believe violence could be justified if the other party if the other party's nominee wins. Now consider that for a moment. This is very sobering. Over a third of Americans believe violence is justified if they don't win and the other party does. That jumped uh, from just 8% 3 years ago. Andrew Cuomo claimed to have saved New York City isn't sitting well. I think I said Andrew, but you know who I mean, especially with those whose loved ones died in nursing homes. Cuomo's denial simply don't match up with the facts. Even CNN, where his brother works on air, fact checked him as false. The federal court has ordered Los Angeles to pay $100,000 to the National Rifle Association to cover their attorney's fees fighting the unconstitutional city ordinance aimed at punishing the NRA. And half of New York City restaurants and bars could be permanently closed all in the next six months, according to the state comptroller. It would uh, eliminate 150,000 jobs. Bethany Mandel points out no bar anywhere is going to survive. You cannot keep a business closed for six months with no revenue and no glimpse of an opening date. We are watching government forcing small businesses into bankruptcy. And the NBA finals game one sees the lowest rating ever since they began recording viewers in 1994. Donald Trump joins a list of world leaders, including British Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Brazilian uh, President Jair Bolas, get this right, Bolsonaro, I can never say his name, uh, who've tested positive for COVID-19. I suppose that's not a group you want to be a member of, but aimed uh, amid failed talks with White House, House Democrats passed their own $2.2 trillion relief bill, some refer to as a blue city pinata, 
before hitting the campaign trail. Senate Democrats formally and inevitably asked for a delay in the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation, and the president says he won't agree to debate rule changes. Uh, He's condemned white supremacists and the Proud Boys in a recent interview. It got no coverage. No context. The White House hits back after CNN airs surreptitiously recorded Melania Trump tapes on child immigration and the media. And the New York Times, Rolling Stone, ABC and CBS all denied motions to dismiss the lawsuit brought by Covington teen Nick Sandman. CNN is uh, sort of cracks down on Andrew Cuomo's nursing home debacle after giving the anchor's brother the softball treatment. And a New York Times op-ed was written by the Chinese Communist Party's Hong Kong enforcer. A Daily Signal editor says Google won't let you see our article, even if you search for it by name. And a Senate panel voted to subpoena conservatives suppressing big tech CEOs. You can find out more at Axios. The AP Stylebook is discouraging the use of riot and expands the definition of protest to include violence. So peaceful protest now Uh, means peaceful protests that could also include violence. It just feels better, apparently, according to the AP style book. Texas governor is forcing counties to designate just one mail ballot drop-off site, and Los Angeles has been ordered to pay the NRA for losing a uh, First Amendment lawsuit. Donald Trump says he will overturn the ridiculous order removing the words brotherhood and man from the Navy SEAL ethos. And in a deja vu moment, thousands of U.S. bound migrants are crossing into Guatemala without authorization. Where are they headed? Leave that an open question. A judge has blocked President Trump's ban on hundreds of thousands of foreign workers. Meanwhile, on this day in history, 1950, the comic strip Peanuts, created by Charles Schultz, is syndicated to seven newspapers. 1919, President Woodrow Wilson suffers a serious stroke at the White House that leaves him paralyzed on his left side. 1967, on this day in history, Third Grove Marshall is sworn in as an Associate Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. 1984, Richard Miller's beca- Miller rather becomes the first FBI agent to be arrested and charged with espionage. Miller would be tried three times, sentenced to 20 years in prison, He would be released after nine. And finally, on this day in history, 2002, the Washington, D.C. area sniper attacks begin, setting off a three-week manhunt. John Allen Muhammad and Lee Boyd Malvo ultimately would be arrested for killing 10 people and wounding three others. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Pretty heavy news day, but we want to squeeze in a little bit of the lighter side of the news. And I've invited James to join me to do just that. Uh, well, NASA astronaut Kate Rubens told the Associated Press on Friday that she plans to cast her vote from space more than 200 m- uh, miles above Earth. Uh, She's just outside Moscow in Star City, Russia. She's preparing with two cosmonauts for a mid-October launch and a six-month stay at the International Space Station. So she's going to be casting her ballot. She's encouraging others to do the same during this season. One can only hope a ballot cast 200 miles above Earth can make it to its uh, correct polling place, can be adequately counted while we uh, struggle with some right here on terra firma, getting to where they need to go and uh, being counted on time and approved as they ought through this heavily mail-in ballot season. So we'll have to see what uh, what happens, James. Well, certainly, you know, one of the things that comes to mind for me is if she has to borrow a pencil from the cosmonauts, is that Russian collusion? Ooh, good question. That's a very good question. We'll have to look into that one. Yeah, I, I don't th- know. Th- that's probably very important. 
Well, many beloved events and activities have been canceled this year, sadly, but one has weathered the pandemic. Now, one of those events was your daughter's birthday party. I've never missed one of her birthday parties. I wasn't at this year's party. It was a different kind and of a thing. It was very small compared to previous ones. But very yeah. small, but it just broke my heart to not be there. I'm sure she could care less, but to me, it was a big deal. Anyway, lots of activities have been canceled or altered in a number of ways, but one has weathered the pandemic. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Fat Bear Week. The annual competition, which kicks off on Wednesday or kicked off on Wednesday, asked voters to decide which brown bear at Brooks River in Alaska uh, has uh, the most successful success rather in packing on the pounds before winter. And uh, only one plump, um, I guess, award is given for the 2020 fattest bear. Um, now, we could have a COVID-19 um contest that's roughly the same that wouldn't involve bears at all. But there's one event that's uh, taking place, as has been the case for many, many years. Bears have been matched up in a single elimination tournament, complete with a March Madness-style bracket showing their names, numbers, photos, and so on. But this is the uh, this is the big one, Fat Bear Week. Each day, online voters decide which bear will advance in the pairing until the final vote on the 6th. You know, a lot of people, kind of like you mentioned it there and hinting at it, that a lot of people are referring to their uh, uh, lockdown or quarantine weight gains as their quote-unquote COVID-19. Yeah. I've started telling people that uh, the 19 is just a suggestion. I'm currently around my (laughs) COVID-45. Thank you very much. It's just a suggestion. Just a suggestion. Now, is there going to be some kind of a treatment for that? Is that coming up? Is there a vaccine for the... The COVID-19 some of us are carrying around, not the uh, virus, but the I, I think the, the, cure, the, the cure is probably liposuction. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in mind. Well, Australian air carrier Qantas announced that a seven-hour scenic flight to nowhere, which will take off and land in the same airport uh, amid the interstate travel restrictions during the coronavirus pandemic, sold out in 10 minutes. It's a pretty unusual flight. It's scheduled to to depart on October 10th and return the same day to the same location, making absolutely no stops while promising passengers low-level scenic views of a number of um, things, the Great Barrier Reef, among other spots. Buyers quickly snatched up the 134 available seats, priced at $575 and $25. Seven hundred dollars, depending on the seat, uh, the seating class, according to a Qantas uh, spokeswoman. Passengers are set to travel on a wide-body Boeing 787, normally used for long-distance international travel. It's probably the fastest-selling flight in Qantas history, and it does seem uh, strangely appropriate for the season that we're in—a flight to nowhere. Basically, just like a cruise in the air, isn't it? I mean, for the most part. <laughs> yes, that's it's a scenic uh, scenic tour. Uh, hopefully, there's lots more to see out of the windows. three-hour tour. <laughs> well, there is that one that uh, seemingly never ended. Well, a passenger said that no one um, batted an eye at a bizarre sight uh, as a man using a live snake as a face mask boarded a bus in England. A live snake as a face mask. Okay. So he was uh, spotted on a public bus in England. The unidentified man was taking the bus from Swinton to Manchester, in case you were wondering, this was on Monday, with a snake wrapped around his neck uh, when another passenger snapped a photo of the bizarre moment. Passenger who wished to remain anonymous said she first believed the man was only wearing a um, sort of a strange mask until the reptile started slithering over the handrails. 
The woman said she found the incident really funny, and the other passengers didn't seem bothered by the serpent. No one batted an eyelid. Authorities said a snake is not a proper face covering during the COVID-19 pandemic, which I'm shocked to learn that you can't just wrap a live snake around your face and expect it to protect you from your neighbors who might be speaking, sneezing, and coughing. This is the headline, Moose Visits Idaho Middle School While Classes Are in Session. You might think, you know, a moose coming to a school ground, that that's the story. I was just thrilled to read that the Idaho Middle School had classes in session. (laughs) But an Idaho Middle School had to uh, devise a special plan to release students from the building when the campus played host to an unexpected guest, a moose. And I understand they can be pretty aggressive. Uh, Coeur d'Alene Public Schools said that on Facebook in a post that the moose wandered onto the Woodland uh, Middle School campus Tuesday afternoon, decided to, well, stick around for a while. All the students are safe. The school had devised a way to release the students to safety, reach the bus loop, the parent pickup line, and to exit campus to walk home. The post included a photo of the moose resting near one of the school's entrances, and the district said the animal didn't show any signs of interest in the humans on the campus. This guy has been great about staying socially distanced. The Facebook post said we couldn't find a mask to fit him. I think he was just curious because here he is in Alaska during a pandemic and there are actually students in a school classroom. I think I would have uh, gone to the front yard, sat down and just enjoyed the view myself. They're used to the the open, wide, seemingly abandoned buildings that – yeah, and go around. A friend of mine who um, his kid is uh, in New Jersey in private school, and they're doing the uh, uh, the hybrid model currently. And uh, it was supposed to be a school day, and six forty five, they get a phone call. Uh, we're doing distance learning today. There's a skunk in the building. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you know <laughs> it, that's everything's conspiring. Yeah, it does conspiring against kids getting back in the classroom. Even, well, you brought this. Uh, you brought this story to my attention. <laughs> I had to laugh. Ireland's Supreme Court, apparently, this was a case before the Irish Supreme Court, has ruled that bread sold by the fast food chain Subway contains so much sugar that it cannot be legally defined as bread. Well, the ruling came in a tax dispute. It was brought by uh, Bookfinders Limited, an Irish Subway franchise, that argued that some of its takeaway products, including teas, coffees, and heated sandwiches, were not liable for value-added tax. Well, Subway contains too much sugar to be categorized as a staple food, which is not taxed. There's uh, no dispute that the bread supplied by t- Subway in its uh, heated sandwich has a sugar content of 10 percent of the weight of the flour 10 percent of the weight of the flour included in the dough and thus exceeds the two percent specified the judge said well the law makes a distinction between bread as a staple food and the other baked goods which are or approach confectionery or fancy baked goods the judge stated well subway disagreed with the characterization saying that subway bread is of course bread company said in an email, we've been baking fresh bread in our restaurants for more than three decades, and our guests return each day for sandwiches made on bread that smells as good as bread as it tastes. Well, Bookfinders was uh, appealing a 2006 decision by authorities who refused to refund value-added tax payments. Lower courts um, had dismissed the case before it reached the Supreme Court. So Subway sandwiches serving uh, sandwiches on something other than bread. It's like having donuts with slices of pastrami. 
This is this is not the uh, first time that uh, Subway Bread has run afoul of uh, the law, as it were. Albeit, uh, I don't know if they were dinged in in Ireland for this, but if I remember correctly, uh, probably about five, six, maybe seven years ago, um, they were uh, found to have a chemical in the bread that is shared with yoga mats. <laughs> It turns out a bunch of food products have it in there, but uh, so it's pretty much, you know, it's one of those things, uh, you know, how they say exercise after you eat. Uh, If you're eating what you exercise, do you have to still? (laughs) That's a good question. Hey, we need to take a break. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. We'll return with some of the uh, some of the headlines and also an interview with Scott Rank. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our next two segments, we'll hear from Scott Rank, author of History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. That's coming up in the next two segments of the program. And we want to tell you uh, at the final segment about the Pastors Appreciation Event and opportunity to win a prize for pastors during this Pastor Appreciation Month. Well, at the presidential debate this week, the Republican candidate voiced his concern about political violence. Um, and the Democratic candidate likewise voiced concern about political violence, one left wing, the other right wing. They were both right. Like a growing number of prominent American leaders and scholars, we're increasingly anxious that the country is headed toward the worst post-election crisis in a century and a half. Our biggest concern is that a uh, disputed presidential election, especially if there are close contests in a few swing states, or if one candidate denounces the legitimacy of the process, it could generate violence and bloodshed. Now, I know some are poo-pooing the idea that's just not going to happen. It's not the American way. But I struggle sometimes to recall or understand what is the, the American way in the year 2020. Unfortunately, we're not being alarmist about the potential for violence. Trends in public opinion that were being um, tracked to provide strong grounds for real concern. The research, which we're uh, uh, talking about here for the first time, shows an upswing in the past few months in the number of Americans, both Democrats and Republicans, who said they think violence would be justified if their side loses the upcoming presidential election. Violence would be justified if their side loses the upcoming presidential election. Well, this growing acceptance of the possibility of violence is a bipartisan movement. Data show that the willingness of Democrats and Republicans alike to justify violence as a way to achieve political goals has essentially been rising in lockstep. All of us have been involved separately and eventually together in surveying and researching American uh, politics and attitudes and engagement late last year. Uh, There was a noticed uptick in the number of respondents saying that they would condone violence by their own political party And so it was decided that uh, the data would be combined um, to see how much has changed, how much uh, we can determine has changed uh, over the most recent period. Now, um, these are some of the things that the surveys are saying. Among Americans who identified as Democrat or Republican, one in three now believe that violence could be justified to advance their party's political goals, a substantial increase over the last three years. In September, 44% of Republicans and 41% of Democrats said there would be at least a little justification for violence if the other party's nominee wins the election. Those figures are both up from June um, when 35% of uh, Republicans, 37% of Democrats expressed the same sentiment. 
Similarly, 36% of Republicans and 33% of Democrats said it is at least a little justified for their side to use violence in advancing political goals, up from 30% of both Republicans and Democrats in June. There's been an even larger increase in the share of both Democrats and Republicans who believe there would be either a lot or a great deal of justification for violence if their party were to lose. Now, these numbers are even higher among the most ideological partisans of Democrats who identify as very liberal. 26% said that there would be a great deal of justification for violence if their candidate loses. Of Republicans who identify as very conservative, 16%, about 10 percentage points lower, said they believe there would be, would be a great deal of justification for violence if the GOP loses. Altogether, about one in five Americans with a strong political affiliation say they're quite willing to endorse violence, not necessarily engage in it, but endorse violence if the other party wins the presidency. Now, the survey by YouGov and the voter study group had margins of error of about to 1.5 to 3 percentage points. How seriously should we take these expressions of violence? Well, both history and social psychology warn us to take them very seriously in Europe, in the 20s and 30s, a rising tide of armed street mobilization and of violent clashes between rival partisans, ravaged fragile democratic cultures, bullied and marginalized moderate forces, gave rise to um, autocrats, an excuse to seize emergency powers. And some of us who've studied the rise of authoritarianism uh, see strong parallels between that period of European history and the factors at work in America today. Um, there is one group that is charged specifically with responding differently to every provocation, and that is uh, I'm talking about fellow believers, Christians. We do not have the freedom to respond violently uh, in these circumstances. The provocation, it doesn't matter. It may seem justified. It may, in fact, be explicable if um, we are um, – our rights are violated, and yet we are called upon to respond in this world quite differently. And my prayer is that all of us are asking God to give us the wisdom and the strength, being filled with his Holy Spirit, to respond differently, to set an example, uh, because it's, it's increasingly more likely that we're going to see violence expressed in our streets, in our conversations, in the places we frequent, among our leaders, and so on. And there must be a response prepared by those who are followers of Jesus. I am absolutely confident that God will give us wisdom and direction if we seek it. Um, I'm not altogether confident that we, and I'm generalizing, that we are seeking uh, that kind of wisdom, that we are prepared to do what's right rather than what's popular. And my hope is that we're taking all of this very seriously and are working at distinguishing ourselves, not as individuals uh, who have different names, but as followers of Jesus who reflect as his ambassadors, as his regents, if you will, uh, reflect his response in the world. Yeah, there's a lot more that could be said. I'm just going to leave it at that. The socialist social justice revolution is here, and one former CEO is here to tweet about it. On Wednesday, former twit, uh, Twitter CEO Dick Costello, he's a man whose net worth is estimated at $300 million, you know, something of a capitalist, took to his old platform and uh, appeared to be gleefully suggesting that capitalists who don't get involved with social justice causes should face firing squads. Now, note the use of his language. Here's what Twitter guidelines say about promoting violence on its platform, the very platform he used to serve as CEO over. Um, they're uh, 
statement is, you may not threaten violence against an individual or a group of people. We also prohibit the glorification of violence. Unless, of course, perhaps you were the former CEO. Well, the Daily Signal contacted Twitter for a statement on his tweet and what it would do to enforce its rules, but it hadn't responded. Uh, Forbes magazine explained the origin of the discussion of this reckless promotion of violence, saying that Costolo was uh, responding to a debate that has consumed tech elites on Twitter over the past few days, an argument about whether the industry should actively promote social justice causes and encourage political conversations at work. If it hasn't become painfully obvious this summer, much of corporate America is currently consumed with being as woke as possible. Clothing, tech, food and sports, other companies are putting out statements endorsing BLM despite the organization's ties to Marxism. And at the same time, it's clear that within these companies, openly dissenting from modern left wing dogmas is frowned upon or punished or as being as prescribed by this uh, CEO, Dick Costello, saying that those who do should face a firing squad. And how would Costello and other millennial and uh, millionaire revolutionaries act if companies begin to push pro-life causes, for example? What's remarkable is that many in corporate America, including Costello, apparently think that being woke or supporting various left-wing causes will shield them uh, from the radicals. Uh, Winston Churchill observed that an appeaser is someone who hopes the crocodile will eat him last or be so full he won't be eaten at all. But Costello dubs me first. That is really unwoke capitalists may be first to go in the revolution, but they certainly one uh, won't be the last uh, in again, just an example of the kinds of uh, the kind of language that's being employed uh, to talk about dissenters in our 21st century. Meanwhile, a Connecticut based sports reporter uh, was fired on Wednesday after referring to Senator Tom Scott as an Uncle Tom and a now deleted tweet. Uh, The Hill tweeted a link to a story about Scott, the African-American senator who is a Republican, saying that he thought President Trump misspoke regarding the um, stand back and stand by statement with the Proud Boys. Well, now the former News 12 Connecticut sports uh, reporter, um, whose name is Fred uh, Gertaney, responded by writing, thanks, Uncle Tom, and swiftly lost his job as a result. He happens to be um, uh, Caucasian. The Republican senator happens to be African-American. But it demonstrates once again that if you do not walk in lockstep according to the views prescribed for you in your particular racial group, in this case, African-American, then you are something than what you actually are. And I suppose and we blur the lines between male and female. It's not too hard to believe that you would blur the lines as to whether or not you're actually African-American, you pose as an African-American or a Native American in order to convey certain views. Um, But this is wholly unacceptable and just another example of where we are in the culture. And I hope all of us are taking this very soberly and praying for God to give us wisdom, not just what others should do in response to all of this, but how we're going to respond in private conversation, in our workplaces, in public policy. Um, And as things get a bit more tense, how do we respond in a way that is uh, honoring to God's um, God's character and his call on each of us. Now, we need to take a break. Um, We've run out of time in this segment, but when we come back, we're going to um, hear from Scott Rank, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. Then we'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Well, I have to tell you, Americans, as my next guest points out in his new book, have no idea what it's what it is to have a truly psychotic leader. Now, some might question that. 
uh, like North Korea's Kim Jong-un or Iraq's Saddam Hussein, um, who could be put on the level of mentally ill, but how do they compare to leaders in the past who took psychotic um, activity to a whole different level? Well, my guest, Scott Rank, is the host of the popular podcast, History Unplugged. He puts madness into perspective by presenting the world's most unbelievably deranged leaders and their all-consuming addiction to power in history's nine most insane rulers. Now, can the insane rule? Can insanity be a leadership quality? Well, he takes a fascinating look at nine of history's most notorious rulers, from the Roman emperor Caligula to North Korean communist dictator Kim Jong-il. Rather, uh, He paints an intimate portraits of these deeply flawed but powerful men, examining the role that madness played in their lives, the repercussions of their madness on history, and what their madness can tell us about the times in which we live. Well, my guest, Scott Rank, is the author of 12 books, including The Age of Illumination, Science, Technology, and the Reason in the Middle Ages, Lost Civilizations, and Off the Edge of the Map, Travelers and Explorers that Push the Boundaries of the Known World. His books have been translated into nine languages. He's an historian of the Ottoman Empire and modern Turkey. He is a professor and a podcaster. He currently hosts History Unplugged, one of the most popular history podcasts today. He lives in Kansas City with his family, probably more closely now than ever before, and joins us to talk about his fascinating book, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. Scott Rank, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Georgine. I appreciate it. This is so fascinating to me. Uh, first of all, how you selected the individuals you highlight, the nine that made the, that made the cut, and what we might learn um, in our own day when we loosely use words like insanity and, and so on. Uh, so first of all, let me ask you, what motivated you to write this book? And did the time we're living in right now in our current spate of leaders inspire you in any way? Yeah, it partially did. Uh, I think what caused it is in 2020 with the presidential election coming up, I think this issue of our politicians and uh, mental illness or even insanity will come up where people on the left might say uh, Donald Trump has narcissistic personality disorder or people on the right would say Joe Biden has dementia. But if you're comparing them to truly insane rulers in the past, like you said, imagine if Joe Exotic from Tiger King were your emperor. And we actually had cases like that in the past where someone who was a recent president had an 80 foot tall golden statue of himself that rotated to face the sun. So I get it. Our politicians today are eccentric. They say strange things on Twitter, but I want to at least give a little perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, that people like that can come across, but at least understand what has happened before. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's just give our listeners an opportunity to hear the names of those who made the list. The nine most insane leaders. Who are they? Yeah, a quick rundown is uh, Emperor Caligula of Rome, Charles VI of France, thought he was made of glass, Ivan the Terrible, uh, and Ottoman Sultan Ibrahim, George III of American Revolution infamy, uh, Ludwig II, who uh, built Nishwanstein, the Disney World Castle, uh, Idi Amin of Uganda, uh, Turkmenistan President uh, Turkmenbashi, who had that tall golden statue, and Kim Jong-il, as you mentioned. Now, was it difficult for you to narrow it down to nine? Were there others that... Uh, that might have otherwise made the list, but you were limited in space and time? Or is this really the, the cream of the crop, if you will? Yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> the sad thing is there are a lot of people to choose from. Uh, Adolf Hitler, he's not in the book. Joseph Stalin isn't. They ha people ask me about that. The sad thing is those who killed thousands or millions of their own people, we have a lot of cases of that in the past. Um, 
what I was looking at was someone who meets uh, the legal definition mm-hmm. of insanity, that they can't determine um, what's real, what's not real, and um, that affects their actions. It's not just struggling with mental illness. That is, obviously doesn't make someone a bad person. Many of the great leaders in history struggled, like Abraham Lincoln with depression. It's how they acted and how their lack of impulse control and lack of any type of governors on their behavior made them just do terrible things. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you're making a distinction between um, clinical insanity and just evil actions, um, mm-hmm. because there is a there is a difference and a gulf between the two. Early in the book, you write that being mad was perhaps the most appropriate way to rule in mad times. Rulers who were mad, by our definition, could actually have been responding to the most reason uh, responding in the most reasonable way in their circumstances. They faced challenges that were unimaginable today. Explain that statement in light of these nine. Right and. This is something that I always try to understand with history, that conditions were very different, so we need to understand if people seem to do or say things that seem strange. One example of that is Ivan, we call him the terrible of Russia, and he's called the Great in his homeland. And um, he lived in the 1500s, killed tens, maybe hundreds of thousands, many of his own countrymen, because he thought that they were possibly going to side with the enemy. Now, part of the reason that I mean, if you want to explain and understand it, he lived um, in a time not too far away from the era of Genghis Khan um, when millions were killed, and he was working on securing his borders and making sure that slave raids didn't come in and capture his own citizens. So he was working very hard to secure his borders. You can definitely argue with what he did and whether he became terrible, but the fact that people call him great means there are those who argue that what he did in his own times was justifiable. And that's definitely a good argument, but you know we don't live in those times, thankfully, so we don't have to think about doing what people did in the past. Yeah, and I appreciate that you give us some context, because that does help us to have a better understanding of the history of these individuals, not just the history that they, uh, that they made. Who do you think was the most insane ruler in history, if it's possible to narrow it down to one? Yeah, it's, uh, I think the argument can be made for anyone, but... Um, one of my favorite, if you can call that, was the president of uh, recent president Turkmenistan, Akbar Turkmenbashi, who ruled from the early 90s until the mid 2000s, and he almost outdid Joseph Stalin with self-promotion. He had the posters of himself, statues of himself in town squares. He had that 80-foot-tall golden statue of himself I was talking about. He also had a holy book that he wrote himself, even though he wasn't completely literate. And he claimed that God had appeared to him in a dream and said, anyone who reads this three times will get into heaven. And the strangest thing about him is that he doesn't, he doesn't seem cynical. He seems to really believe what he's saying. And he seemed to think that he was doing a good thing for the people of Turkmenistan by giving them a national hero. And I should also mention he renamed the days of the week and months of the year after himself and his mother and even an asteroid too. But he thought he was helping people by doing this. Why do you think so many powerful rulers have been insane? I mean, truly insane. Is there a connection between power and insanity? Well, um, sometimes it's genetic. People like George III uh, may have had a blood disease. Maybe Mm -hmm. they grew up in traumatic situations. Um, But the best I can argue is if we look at someone like a celebrity and think that they live in a delusional bubble and they're cut off from real circumstances, imagine if a celebrity had the power to had a goon squad and could take someone out if they wanted to. You're isolated from self-criticism from others for years or even decades. 
And if you're somebody like that who doesn't hear criticism, then you get a Muammar Gaddafi or Fidel Castro who will stand up in front of the United Nations and speak for five hours, who will claim like Kim Jong-il that the first time I golfed, I shot 38 under par. And if you already say that, people would laugh at us and they should laugh at us because it's ridiculous. But if nobody can criticize you for fear of their lives and you live in that bubble for years or decades, I think that can lead to the levels of delusion that I saw. Yeah, in fact, that raises the question, how did psychotic, narcissistic, schizophrenic uh, leaders stay in power? Now, we live in a constitutional republic. We elect our leaders. But how did these individuals manage to stay in power? And you sort of hinted at that. Was it even possible to remove them if you'd come to the conclusion that they were, in fact, insane? Right. I mean, we wonder, why didn't people get rid of them? I and mean, we can have impeachment trials. We can do all these things in the United States, votes of no confidence in parliament. Oddly enough, it seems that if you're going to be, it's better to be completely delusional than mildly delusional because you can purge people who pose any threat to you. Joseph Stalin did this a lot in the past. Idi Amin in Uganda, one of the first things he did when he became leader of Uganda in the 60s or early 70s was to liquidate opposition. But then he didn't stop there. He went to basically anyone who wasn't 200% in favor of him. And that led to the deaths of 200,000 Ugandans. So, and the other thing too, is there was a a self-censorship. There were many people on the payroll of Idi Amin or Kim Jong-il, and you didn't know if your neighbor or friend was an informant and would turn you over to the police if you were talking about overthrowing someone. So that type of chilling effect, I think is what allowed someone like this to stay in power for so long. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, the book we're talking about, written by my guest, Scott Rank, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. And it really is fascinating. I know why your podcast is popular. Uh, it's fascinating to learn something about these individuals uh, and to the extent to which they went in their um, their leadership roles uh, and what we can learn from them in our time. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Scott Rank. He is the author of History's Most Insane Rulers. And it is a fascinating book giving us the history of nine individuals that you probably would have a hard time uh, believing held positions of power. Uh, but there's a lot to be learned from history, and certainly these nine insane leaders have something to teach us uh, as well. Uh, let me um, focus on some of these individuals that you highlight in the book. Um, uh, King Charles VI of France, he thought he was made of glass. Tell us a little bit about him um, <laughs> that might help us to understand the uh, havoc he um, he brought to his people. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So like you said, he thought he was made of glass, and he told his advisors that you have to tiptoe when you come toward me or I might shatter. And he wouldn't take a bath because, again, he thought that he might shatter and break into pieces. Now, why did he believe that? Um, for the same reason that people claim alien abductions today. And what I mean is, um, at that time in the Middle Ages, the analogy of glass was used by preachers and priests to say, you need to be holy and clean like glass. And those who heard that message might have listened to it a little too carefully. Maybe there's self-hypnosis, there's delusion. You, you begin to believe that you really are made of glass. What I meant by the alien abduction is people didn't claim they were abducted until about the 1950s when Hollywood B-movies started to come out with aliens in them. 
when people saw them and due to disassociation from reality, they may have thought that actually happened to him. So that's what happened to him. And France almost completely fell apart when it was under his reign. So not a good situation. And he presumably inherited his position and could not be removed. Right. That's a, a difference between the past and today. When you had a dynasty, you want one of your offspring to be on the throne, even if they're really not cut out for it, because then your whole dynasty falls apart. Another example was um, an Ottoman Sultan, Ibrahim, who um, practiced archery on people in his palace. I mean, he would shoot bows and arrow, would shoot arrows at them. And we don't have dynasties today, except for maybe the exception of North Korea um, and the royalty we have don't really have any power. But that was the motivation of the past, that you need someone in your line on the throne or your dynasty falls apart and we will put anyone there. You know, we'll try to have someone who will basically rule through them and hopefully they'll only be a puppet and won't cause too many problems. But sometimes they couldn't be controlled and that's how things got out of hand. What about Emperor Caligula? He built temples to himself. He made his horse a senator. He marched his armies all the way to Britain for no reason. He built a bridge um, that uh, he rode over back and forth. He pushed some of the people who had come to witness this display over into the river. As many of them drowned. Tell us a little bit about this Roman Emperor Caligula and what it might have been like to live under this kind of ruler. Definitely not pleasant, that's for sure. And when I was talking about people who are disconnected from reality and start to believe that they're divine, Caligula is it. He's an emperor after Augustus when emperors uh, start to accept worship from people. Uh, You mentioned a lot of the things. He pointed his horse senator. uh, Probably something that he did that, according to one source, he may have bankrupted Rome or uh, triggered a famine. He, uh, an astrologer said that there's no way you could become emperor. You had just uh, just as much of a chance as becoming one as crossing this gulf that's near Naples that's three miles long. So he has a bunch of pontoon or a boat set up and has a bridge constructed along this gulf and rides back and forth on his horse. And so many boats have to be used to make this bridge that they can't get grain from other ports in Egypt and it triggers a famine. So you think, why does he do this? And if it really did happen, um, somehow thinking that proving that he's this divine status is good for the Roman uh, Empire because they have such a great ruler. So in his mind, somehow it made sense. And it's scary to think that someone like that could come to power. Yeah, not only come to power, but remain in power. Yeah, uh, exactly. Right, it's, um, yeah. You write about yeah, Bavarian. Yeah, he was assassinated a few years, but then he was taken out. So there's an end there. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> Bavaria's mad king, uh, Ludwig II, um, he built himself a fabulous fairy tale castle in the 1800s. Um, he had imaginary friends. He loved to take uh, dangerously high speed midnight sleigh rides through the Alps, uh, even in blizzards. What's his story? Well, if you have uh, seen pictures of Bavaria in southern Germany, you've definitely seen Neuschwanstein Castle, which is the inspiration for Disney World, and Mm -hmm. you've done puzzles, you'll see that picture. Ludwig used his family's wealth to build these fairy tale-like castles, even though it's the 1800s and castles are completely useless for any reason. He is someone that, um, he was much more harmless than a lot of these people. He didn't have people killed, he didn't trigger any famines or anything. He squandered Bavaria's wealth, but you could say he left a legacy because any Frommer's guide for uh, Germany will take you toward his castles. He was a patron of Richard Wagner, so we have his operas because of Ludwig's patronage. He was 
a dreamer and people didn't like him. So that's why he was kicked out of power because he was so terrible with money. But you know, a lot of great works of art were commissioned by patrons that may not have been as good with their money. So there's anyone who's left a good legacy behind. I would say that it's him. Hmm. Um, there are two contemporaries, um, President Idi Amin of Uganda and Supreme Leader Kim Jong-il of North Korea. We know a little bit of their history if we've been paying attention. Um, similarities, dissimilarities between the two of them who had visions of grandeur in terms of their their personal worth and value and their leadership styles? Yeah, the uh, Idi Amin is, I would say, one of the worst of the lot just because yes. of how sadistic he was. He personally mutilated people, torture them. You can watch the film Last King of Scotland to get an idea of this. Oh, yes. um, he, was so, he was celebrated in the beginning because uh, this is when Uganda first gained its independence. He was the second president. Uh, he would mock Great Britain and sent them a boatload full of bananas as a way of thanking them for the days of colonialism. But um, when I mentioned earlier the, the fear that people had because an enormous informant network of him, his was set up, there were maybe 10 or 20,000 people on his payroll. 200,000 people died in his torture chambers. And um, Uganda was set back for decades. Its economy was ruined. And with Kim Jong-il, it's usually an exaggeration to compare a country to 1984. But in his case, that almost seems to come true, mm-hmm. where his picture and his father's picture were required to people in everyone's houses. There's a Pledge of loyalty. It sounds like you're saying catechism um, in a church. It's and he seemed to think that I am the embodiment of the will of the Korean people. So when people are praising me and essentially worshiping me, it's good for Korea and it strengthens Korea. And seemed to really think that what he was saying was good for it. Um, but it, North Korea was completely impoverished and people starved. There was a horrible famine in the '90s. Um, mostly because of his self-isolation, mostly because um, there wasn't trade allowed with the outside world. Um, It was completely self-inflicted, and um, whatever he thought he was trying to do for the good of the people really did turn it into a 1984 situation. Yeah, yeah. There are historians who have argued that there's a connection between genius and madness. Um, Your thoughts on that, and... Are we talking about idiot savants who somehow in their insanity have certain elements of genius? Well, um, I'd say that dealing with mental illness, it obviously doesn't make someone evil. I mean, millions of people suffer depression, doesn't make them a bad person at all. In fact, um, there's an argument that some of the greatest leaders we've ever had, like Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King Jr., all of whom suffered from depression, but... It was that inner struggle, which they won, allowed them to deal with outer struggles. And it's um, not so much mental illness that uh, makes you a bad person, but it reveals your true nature. So if you are uh, an innately evil person, then mental illness removes all the governors that you have, and you really do go for it. Um, And then on the flip side, too, people who were... um, able to accomplish great things. I mean, I think Ludwig with his castles, he left a lasting mark on society. Uh, George III, someone else who struggled with mental illness, but he was a great patron of the arts. He loved Handel, he loved Baroque music, and he supported it, and that's what allowed it to spread throughout England. So he, due to their struggles, they were able to leave some good things behind. So I think that's 
maybe to their credit, these some of these people in the book and others as well, like the great leaders in history. Yeah. Well, I think people are looking for good material to read during this time of somewhat isolation and sheltering in place. History's Nine Most Insane Rulers, I think, is informative. It's uh, somewhat entertaining, but also it's a cautionary tale. Uh, it's book uh, published by Regnery History. What do you hope your readers will learn as they look back at these leaders uh, in terms of choosing leaders in the future? I guess I'd say this. Um if there's anything that these people have in common is that they're committing the biggest sin in politics, and that's that they believe their own press. And all politicians do this to some degree, but if someone's in power for too long, then they start to believe it so much that it becomes the only thing true to them. That's what happens to the Kim family. That's what happened to others. So it's probably not going to happen to you. You're probably not going to be ruled by this, but just watch out. I mean, if they start to look too much like people like this, then yeah, time to get plane tickets and go elsewhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for joining us, Scott Rank. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Once again, the title of the book, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers, published by Regnery History. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we will be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back to wrap things up. I want to remind uh, our pastors and ministry leaders that uh, Thursday was the first of our pastor appreciation series of events, but you're not too late. There are four additional Thursdays in the month of October to which you are cordially invited to take part. It's our opportunity to say we are grateful for you. We want to encourage you and we want to bring you some inspiration. And there is an impressive lineup of speakers and musicians that are assembled for your edification. Now, you may know that for years, Salem radio stations across the country have produced bunches of events, brunches and lunches, conference gatherings, and uh, for ministry leaders to come together for a few hours and share a meal, hear a message of encouragement and experience a time of worship. Well, all attendees are also equipped with a variety of resources to help bolster their ministries. We send you home with a bag of stuff. Well, this year, of course, due to the pandemic and our inability in many cities to host gatherings in person, Salem Media Group is showing our appreciation the entire month of October. And we're bringing ministry leaders and pastors together for a virtual program and inviting our pastors and ministry leaders to take part. Every Thursday, and it began yesterday, we're releasing a new virtual program, and it's featuring national speakers, musical article, artists, rather, and local pastors and ministry leaders encouraging one another to continue to fight the good fight during these frustrating and uncertain, rather, well, unnecessary, I don't know about that, but uncertain times. Our virtual pastor appreciation event is free for all pastors and ministry leaders, whether you're a full-time, part-time, or a volunteer pastor, we want to encourage and minister to you. You can register at kpdq.com, and I would encourage you to do so, to just take a, a few moments downtime every Thursday this month and just be encouraged. Among those who are going to be presenting our virtual Pastor Appreciation series of events, Alan Jackson, Byron Chappelle, um, Sam Rodriguez, Greg Laurie, Paul Cannings, Chuck Swindoll, Tony Evans, John MacArthur, Alistair Begg, Robert Jeffress, Alan Jackson, um, Brian Chappelle, I think I may have said that, and many others. So it's going to be a tremendous opportunity. John uh, MacArthur, I think I mentioned as well. Among the musical artists, we have Natalie uh, Natalie Grant, Zach Williams, Hope Darst, uh, Mandisa, Chris Tomlin, I Am They. I, I have questions about that title. But for King and Country, Stephen Curtis uh, Chapman, Michael W. Smith, Mac Powell, um, just a, a Matthew West, just a whole 
incredible lineup of um, musicians, pastors, teachers, and so on to be an encouragement for you. So just go to kvdq.com for all the important details. And again, there are still four weeks every Thursday, 10 a.m. for the remainder of October. And we would love for you to, um, to take part. You can register at kpdq.com. Look for the virtual pastor appreciation banner. We also want to give you an opportunity to win $2,000 in technology. It's an upgrade. You can start by entering your email address or choosing one of the social networks um, on the website, again, at kpdq. You can find that all at the same site. Um, This one is for you to help celebrate Pastor Appreciation Month this October. We've put together two very special opportunities for our pastors across the the country and here in our area. Our virtual Pastor Appreciation events um, are one. The other way is a special giveaway, the opportunity for you to win $2,000 in technology upgrades. Uh, You tell us what you need, hardware, software, up to $2,000 in value, and we're going to ship it your way if you're our winner. Plus, we have a $500 shopping spree from our friends at Cascade Furniture, so there's uh, lots to uh, to win. We want you to know that we appreciate you and your ministry to our local churches. Uh, we want to encourage you to, partip- to precip- <laughs> can't even say precipitate or participate, Par- uh, participate with us this year in these special opportunities and be uh, encouraged. Again, all found at kpdq.com, and uh, you can register for these upcoming events. Well, there are some great resources in our community to help people in need, and I know all of us are increasingly aware of some of those needs. It's especially encouraging to see people step up during this time of the coronavirus and the fires that have now mostly faded. Uh, Live Love Northwest is providing resources in the Portland and Vancouver areas for foster families, for veterans, for the homeless, and other families in need with food boxes, clothes, home goods, and more. Now, some who have been displaced from their uh, properties or lost homes, they too can be beneficiaries. To help provide resources for our community, you can go to kpdq.com and uh, click on Live Love Northwest. It's brought uh, to you by Pestlock Live Love Northwest an opportunity to reach out to our neighbors in this very challenging season. Also, in response to church cancellations due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've created a church service live streaming page at kpdq.com with broadcasts of local church services. You'll be able to hear encouraging messages and worship from home with local live streams. And if you like your church to be included, you can let us know by clicking Church Service Live Streams banner on our website. Just visit kpdq.com or the kpdq mobile app. And if you're on Facebook, we'd love for you to join us at 93.9 KPDQ. Stay connected with us for biblical encouragement, updates, and other news. Again, join us on Facebook at 93.9. And I want to invite you to check out the Life Inspired podcast with the women of KPDQ, 93.9 and 1041 The Fish. I'm a part, along with Kat Taylor, Summer Shore, and Crystal Thornton. We're sharing honest, upbeat conversations about life, faith, family, and friendship. New episodes come out about twice a month. Things have changed a little in this uh, current circumstance. But you can subscribe and download the latest at kpdq.com, iTunes, or Google Play. Again, that's Life Inspired, the podcast. You can join the conversation on Instagram at Life Inspired Podcast and let us know if you relate. Well, it's the mark of a fairly healthy economy and economic recovery when news reports express disappointment with a gain of 661,000 jobs in a month. 
But that's where we are for the last jobs report before the November election. Economists had predicted $800,000 jobs in September and a headline unemployment rate of 8.2%. While the jobs numbers were below expectations, primarily because of, as CNBC reports, a drop in government hiring, the headline unemployment rate dropped to 7.9% from 8.4% in August. Back in February, which seems to be so long ago, that rate was an historically low 3.5%. Remember those days of the 22 million jobs lost in March and April's economic bloodbath, if you will? The U.S. economy has recovered more than 11 million of them, but layoffs persist in some sectors. Just three companies account for 60,000 layoffs this week. Disney permanently laid off 28,000 theme park workers, while American Airlines and United Airlines cut 32,000 jobs, and those losses aren't included in the September report. But things are improving slowly, but meaningfully. So thank you, Jesus, for that. And let's pray for wisdom among our leaders and uh, protection for those attempting to recover from this um, historic pandemic we find ourselves in. Well, we're just about out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, and Dan Rice for the use of his office. And thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.